Hello there, and welcome to the first episode of Bite Size Discussions. I'm your host, Molly McCain. For this first episode, we're going to focus on the topic of voter suppression. Later on, I'll interview Dr. Vincent Willis about the causes and effects of voter suppression, as well as the history and the future of voter rights. When addressing the topic of voter suppression, it's important to also address the fact that since the Constitution was written, there have been four amendments passed pertaining to voting rights. These amendments include the 15th, the 19th, the 24th, and the 26th. Despite these amendments, for many Americans, the struggle for the right to vote is not over. Though we no longer see things like literacy tests or poll taxes, the disappearance of those has left room for more forms of suppression to take their place. Whether it's something like gerrymandering, voter ID laws, or even strange registration regulations in some states, much of America's voting system relies on unfair practices that can isolate an entire group of people. I was very intrigued about why we still see this happening, as well as its effects on both the past and the future of voting. So I turned to talk to Dr. Willis, a professor at the University of Alabama. So I am Dr. Vincent Willis. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Alabama. Uh, I'm, uh, my faculty appointment is in New College with a joint appointment in Gender and Race Studies. And so one of the things that I talk about and I want students to really understand is that there are conversations that we have around voting and people are like, well, what is the, you know, what is the issue about voting ID laws? Shouldn't you have to, you know, verify who you are? And, you know, it seems like it's a good faith argument on the surface, but when you do the, you know, when, when you, when you, when you, you know, read the scholarship on the history of voter ID laws and things like that, it really serves as a barrier, first of all, because a lot of people um, just don't have access to uh, identification, right? If this, if these voter ID laws were people just, you know, if, you know, states and, and federal government are just passing out, you know, voter identification cards or right. identification cards to citizens just to make sure you have proof who you say you are, that's one thing. But but, right. but it's, it's it's the voter ID laws in, 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 a, in a larger narrative, right, right. Of, of making it harder for certain people, whether it be a certain people from certain marginalized groups, uh, from certain class backgrounds, that, that, so it makes it more difficult for them. So right. people who have transportation, people who have uh, financial resources, voter ID law seems insignificant. But for those who were, were, were it may be very difficult for you to get it, to get to places to issue a government ID. That's what right. makes it difficult for people to vote which is the intentionality of voter suppression. And how do you think that laws in states that, like, limit voter registration to, like, same day you can't uh, register to vote, you know, when you come to vote, that kind of, like, time limit, how do you think that also plays into affecting, like, groups that, some, you know, uh, that we see where someone may not be able to take off work until Election Day and that kind of uh, diminishes their chance of uh, registering? Try to make it like these, but just well, you know, 
voting on the same day as chaotic, or the case may be a registrant to vote on the same day as chaotic, but there's no doubt, I think, again, uh, Dr. Anderson's one person, one vote, and other scholars have shown uh, who study, uh, you know, voting patterns, who study registration, who study all of these things, you know, that there is no data to say right. that people who register and won't register that, 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 that same day uh, voting or same day the registration register on the same day you vote will, will cause some chaotic, uh, you know, uh, actions in, in the, in, in the, or some disruption, should I say, right. in, in the voting um, sphere. So same day registration, again, it's the same to your to your question, Molly, it's the same way as voter ID. It's 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 it's, it's another bad faith argument right. or states to try to confine people right. to you know to, to, to certain. You. Right. I want to just reiterate this right. again. These laws typically they, they they negatively impact certain people. So it's not like it's fair across the board, right? right? It's not like you know people who have means you know, are affected by this, right? right? And right. typically, it's affecting a certain group of, it's affecting a certain group of people that they want affected. Right. It's it's designed to prevent and keep isolate uh, and keep kind of those elections how the people in power right. want to see. Right. right. So how would you say kind of that it's morphed, you know, from the past even 10 years really like have what kind of new ways have we seen or old ways that have kind of gotten phased out um to try and limit um you know kind of have voter restriction and voter suppression i mean so you don't have you know uh you don't have literacy tests anymore right, right? uh you don't have you know people you know states say you got to count the you know bubbles you know the, the suds on the, on the bar so right. you know they're over in ways you right. know that, that civil rights uh that the Voting Rights Act, I'm sorry, of, uh, you know, that the Voting Rights Act, you know, took care of. Um, but again, there are different ways that, uh, like, I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on in Texas. Texas have already, I think, uh, negated uh, or, or invalidated, you know, said that over 25,000 uh, mail-in votes were
how these things have happened, you know, over the last couple of years. Again, I think the way in which those uh, who get away with it is, is because it seems so subtle. A great experiment to what, what should be happening is you should be any, any eligible voters to vote. We should be encouraging that. Yeah. That's just not what's happening. Even over the last ten years, for you know, when you have state ran by, uh, uh, you know, uh, certain people who, who, who are again, you know, have bad faith uh, arguments. And so, right. over the last ten years, what you do is like you, what you have you have these kind of nuances. Of, of, of voter suppression. And then I have to kind of two more before I want to take it, kind of focusing on um, how it affects kind of youth and the younger population today. But um, so do you think that past presidencies, um, in particular one like uh, President, former President Trump's, that um, kind of had such a stir and craze about voter fraud and voter suppression, and how do you think that's kind of shaped, like not even just his, but previous ones before it, how has that kind of affected and uh, helped polarize the kind of situation around uh, around these ideas and the fight for more equal voting? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Molly, and I, I think we, you know, I think we as citizens need to pay attention to this, because I think Trump is the great distractor, and that people focus on on Trump, but Trump really is the, always, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough, but yet young enough to remember I remember literally watching Bush v. Gore, the results come in, and they actually gave, and you can go back and look at this, model. they actually gave, announced that, 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 and I've never seen this before, and I've never seen this since, even, you know, in, in the craziness of the Trump era, they actually, you know, these, these you know, the, the, the folks who, 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 who crunched these numbers and called these states, they actually gave Florida to Gore, announced that he had won Florida. Like, right. uh, based on the, you know whatever the, whatever algorithm they use, Bush Bush President Bush and remind you guys remind you again I'm not a conspiracy theorist but these are just facts. Right. So George W. Bush is 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 you know running for uh, president. Mm-hmm. His brother Jed Bush at the time is governor right. of Florida. Right. They call Florida for. Al Gore, who was, you know, Bill Clinton's vice president okay. time. Again, Bush comes on TV and mm-hmm. says, I don't know why y'all call George Bush comes on TV and says, I, I don't know why y'all call Florida. You know, we, you know, we, you know, Florida's still a battleground, blah, blah, blah. You know, so Florida then gets recalled. So following Dr. Willis's advice, I went back and I looked at it and I used Britannica and I pulled up. This, this presidential election that he was talking about. And it was kind of mind-blowing what I read about the case. In 2000, the election day was on November 7th, and there was no you know certain winner at the time. Plenty of states like Oregon and New Mexico had yet to be called and really wouldn't even be called that night. Florida, however, remained fairly uncertain. Um, when Al Gore thought he should concede because he thought he was losing by all polls shown on TV and he talked to his campaign team, they actually advised him not to concede yet because it was a very, very close match. In fact, the gap appeared to be close to 0.01%, which was insane and not enough to call an election in a state on. So when the election results ended with this slight margin in favor of Bush. 
Both campaigns, of course, sent lawyers down to Florida to figure out this, figure out the situation, figure out what was going on and how we were going to have a winner in this state. So with representatives down there, they did a machine recount. And November 10th, this machine recount finished and Bush was ahead, but by a measly 327 votes out of 6 million cast. So this wasn't really, again, this was not a big enough gap that they could call an entire presidential election over. Once officials began to investigate, it became apparent that there was a concerning number of improperly punched ballots, paper ballots that were dimpled but not pierced, so they couldn't really tell, you know, what it was. There were overvotes, ballots that recorded multiple times for one party, and undervotes, ballots that didn't even record um, a vote at all. And so this issue caused people that had intended to vote for Gore to accidentally cast, you know, some very high amount of votes, you know, up in the upwards of three to 4,000 votes for a conservative candidate, Pat Buchanan. And that ended up being almost 20% of his total votes statewide were these accidental ballots that were meant to be cast for Gore. So the Britannica article goes on to talk about how for, you know, a week after this, there was a tug of war pretty much battle about whether or not the recount that the machines did and found all these in-cast and uncorrectly marked ballots, if that was going to hold or if there was going to be a manual or hand recount. So they were going to have, you know, people counting these ballots. And in some counties, that prevailed. They did end up having a recount of the ballots with hand ballots. And a lot of other, a lot of people on Bush's administration fought to have the other counts that were done by a machine to be valid. But on December 8th, in a four to three decision, the Florida Supreme Court decided that an immediate manual recount of undervotes, so the votes that got, the votes that got filled out, but for some reason the machine didn't count them at all, those all were to be hand counted and they were to take place immediately. Upon hearing this, the Bush campaign immediately petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court for a stay of the recount order, and that was granted on December 9th. Shortly afterwards, the Supreme Court decided to hear the case of Bush v. Gore. Bush was arguing that the recount order had not violated any of the laws in Florida and had not violated any voter right laws. Gore was arguing that the way that they counted and the way they went about counting and all these inconsistencies in counting did, in fact, harm people and their right to vote. Both sides made their argument and pleaded their case, but in the end, the Supreme Court sided with Bush and stated that they didn't see any harmful or violation of rights in this recount that Florida did. So, on December 13th, Al Gore finally conceded with his famous televised speech stating, while I strongly disagree with the court's decision, I accept it. I wanted to focus on what Dr. Willis had said about this election because it really kind of opened my eyes. Being born after this election, I didn't go through it and it wasn't really talked about much. You know, there were more pivotal elections in my lifetime that were talked about. Dr. Willis also seemed to think that this 2000 election was a pivotal point and a stepping stone for the events that we saw take place after the election results in 2020. No, we can, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, a focus on Trump. And again, I think that's what America loves to do, like to kind of quarantine this problem right. or quarantine, you know, or, or kind of, you know, 
place these things in contempt. But we look at this long legacy that's always like Trump understands uh, uh, that the, he's, uh, he understands the fragility, right. right, of confidence in people, uh, confidence in the system. Right. And if I, I can, if I can, if I can cause you to, if I can disrupt that that confidence in the system, then I can I can play you. And so I think the problem is, at least in my lifetime, I can speak to the fragility of the voting, uh, the confidence in the voting system. It started to me. I would argue Bush v. Gore is a is a great case study to really understand the the the, the steps that, that we were on a we were on a pathway twenty to January six. And I definitely feel like this. Both of these are kind of just cases where you see if you bully enough people and you have enough connections and you know you're yeah. loud enough, whatever the side, whether it's wrong or right, if you're loud enough, you know. Um, it does get done, you know, for if you fit a certain kind of mold in society, yeah. it's going to get you You more likely than not will get your way. It's totally up to us. Right. But even in, in my moments of despair, right. I oftentimes think about, you know, these moments, right? right? Like, you know, 50, 60 years ago, you know, I couldn't be sitting on, well, no, 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 a black male professor, you know, talking to a white female that would be, you know, uh, you know, con- you know, provided to other sources, right? And, and no one was like, well, what is that black dude talking to that white right. girl about, right? Right. You know, um, now, that, now I would argue that, you know, we we don't need to see that as great progress. Right. I think sometimes we we over we over uh, state the progress of it. But my point is like those are just mere, you know, customary facts, right? That that, that these things didn't happen on, on a large scale. And so so even in my moments of despair, I always want to um, to give appreciation to those who fight for a better world. Right. You know, these inequities that exist are because we, you know, they are making up the world that we have is a making of our own doing. Right. I mean sociologists are very clear about that. There, there, there's no you know, outside entity. So if, if it's a, if, if we can create inequalities, then we can damn sure create create uh, equalities. Um, so speaking of that kind of brought up um, an idea. So you say something like this, like obviously it's it should be like, you know, having a conversation like this shouldn't be something that's like considered great progress. And for, you know, a while it was. So how do you feel like any victory is you know, a victory, any step forward, or does it frustrate you um, to see kind of like those small victories that, you know, everyone should have as a basic right, like um, voting or, uh, you know, kind of being able to ride, you know, on the bus, associate with people that aren't, you know, the same skin color. Does it frustrate you when that's given something that like makes it seem so monumental when it's really just a basic, what should be a basic right? Yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've learned. I'm, so I'm answer this in, 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 with, 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 I'm answer this by bringing up the Hulk, right? Okay. A Marvel character, right? Yes. So I'm not a, I, 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 I'm not a big Marvel Justice League. I don't really get into the co- you know, the comic right, right. battle, right? So I mean, it's a good movie. I watch. But one of the things I, one of the, I think it was one of the first or second Avengers. Uh, I think it was the first one, where you know, uh, was David Banner had went off. And he was like, he didn't want to be the Hulk no more. You know, of course, he tried to kill the Hulk. And, 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 and you know, they were, 
you know, the, the world was going chaotic. They had these crazy things coming in. You know, the Avengers were, were fighting, but they right. were fighting without the Hulk. And so David Banner comes and rides on his motorcycle, and, you know, they're in Times Square. And, you know, they just, the Avengers just, you know, Captain, Captain America's, you know, mask is half off. And, you know, right. they, they're just taking it. They're just taking the killer. Yeah. And Captain America turns to David Banner and says, we really need the big guy right now. Uh, and then, you know, David Banner is coming, and 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 he says, uh, essentially, I've learned to control the Hulk by staying angry. So he can kind of go, he's saying he can kind of go back between David Banner and the Hulk at right. an instant. Right. And me, I think I've learned to, uh, to be frustrated and joyful all at the same time right like i'm constantly frustrated but i will i don't allow my frustration for, for them for my joy to be removed right, right. i think about that you know i think your question is for profound i think it's actually you know fitting you know yesterday you know you know judge katanji brown uh just got confirmed to the supreme court and you know while of course america will tell oh well, you know it's the first black woman on supreme court i'm like the fact that Katanji Brown is the first black woman on the Supreme Court is an indictment right. of the system. Right. But I am very, at the same, so that's my frustration. But I'm also very, very, very happy, very proud to see somebody on the system, on a court, on the highest court of the land, right? Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I, think, I think what we have to do is just learn to appreciate uh, the, those, who, those who are fighting for equality, and also be frustrated um, by who, who, who and what they have to fight against. Um, and I think it's definitely important uh, how you're talking about, like, kind of vows. And I think, yeah, small victories, not even small, you know, victories in general, I think are oh, yeah. the right way to just kind of de- realize that, you know, while it does seem like a never-ending battle, you're, every day is a step closer than, you know, where we were yesterday, especially with... Uh, you know, small victories add up and seeing that really helps. But um, focusing on kind of how voter suppression affects um, young adults, we have, you know, steadily kind of seen a drop off in voting, especially kind of younger adults and um, non-white, you know, minority groups. How do you, do you think that is a um, kind of, do you think like these voter suppression laws have made people felt like they don't have, you know, a voice, they don't have, it doesn't matter? Um, if they're going, you know, if they're going to vote, they think it doesn't matter because they they continuously see the person they're not electing um, going into power. Um, how do you think that kind of plays out um, for people who are about to turn, you know, of age to vote or people who just are about to vote in their first election? Yeah, uh, yeah, this is a great question. We should have done this on a Monday. You, I don't know things like this on a, on a Friday. Uh, <laughs> I think to, the, the way I, I would frame it, because I, I, I hear a lot of uh, critiques about young people. Right. And so as, as a person who studies youth activism historically, the one thing I can say is that young people are, have always been and continue to be concerned about the world in which they're living in and the world in which they're going to, to live in. So I don't think it's a matter... I don't think it's a... It's, it's a... It's a um, I don't think it's, it's it's about engagement. I think it's about what's, what, what one can see.
he relates to them. Right. Um, kind of two last things to kind of wrap us up. First, what for the young, you know, person who's um, about to be 18, so they can't necessarily vote yet, or the young, the people who, you know, maybe can't vote whatever reason or just want to be active, what's something you think that, you know, we should start, we can find a way to get involved, whether it's um, through donations or volunteering or kind of where do you think um, people that want to start being active and making their voices heard, where's a good place for them to start? Yeah, I think I think all of those above. I think to your point, work with you know, um, you know, not only you know, uh, working with organizations that are aligned with your values, right? Um, and if you work with organizations that align with your values, you know, you don't have to wait on uh, on you know a presidential election or local election. You know, even if you're in, you know if you're in school. You know, student like improving school, like student council is, is, is you know, is is, is is one of the most immediate ways that young people can say, okay, I don't like this. Uh, I, I read yesterday was a, a student protesting uh, in Talladega County in Alabama because they fired some, you know, principal. Okay. Uh, you know that they don't. I mean, so so young people, yeah, you know, or uh, one of the class, one of the class model that I teach uh, is on youth activism, and mm-hmm. you know. Uh, um, one of, you know, one of the examples we use is how young, you know, girls throughout the, uh, throughout the country fought against, you know, sexist dress codes right. in high school. Um, and so there, you know, so, so I, I don't want people to think that, you know, the political arena, um, it, like voting is the only way to be, right. you know, be involved in the political arena. So there are young people, like I said, if you're fighting again against sexist dress codes in, in high school or middle school elementary that that's you are in the political arena because some politician made somebody made that policy right, right? uh you're fighting it against uh bullying or whatever case may be you, you're involved so i would just say you know keep doing what you're doing uh and again you know uh you know try to be more you know or not just say try you know continue to educate you know people your peers and, and your community about the, the work that needs to be done right. There are a number of ways that young people are and will continue to be uh, politically engaged. And then just keep that, you know, I think to talk those who are politically engaged and doing work on, you know, prior to being 18, you know, talk to your older siblings, talk to your older cousins about why it's important for them to, again, uh, register to vote and, and, and vote. I mean, unfortunately, I'm not a, I want to go back real quick and I don't want to take up too much time. I want to go back to what you're saying about the sacrifices of other people. I mean, you know, for, to be honest, like the first probably 15, 20 years of my voting life was based on, was out of obligation. Right. It wasn't because I believed in the political arena or believed that my vote made a difference. It really because I, like, to your point, uh, to like you said, your parents or grandparents, like, you know, there, there was a blood tax that came with this opportunity. You know, and I, and, and, and regardless if I believe in, like, you know, if I think Biden is a, you know, great person or a great, it, 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 to me, that's irrelevant. Right. You know, what I do know is that, um, there, again, that there's a blood tax associated with this opportunity. Right. And so out of obligation, you know, I feel, um, you know, that's, that's, that, that's essentially what got me started to vote. Right. And so just finding, you know, finding ways for people to be engaged and young people to be engaged and, 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 and young people stay engaged. So, what piece of advice or motivation would you would you want to tell kind of a young activist who might be struggling? 
first of all, I would say your frustration is valid. I mean, I think if you go back and, you know, read Dr. King, Community of Chaos, you know, where do we go from here? I think it was his last book uh, in 68, uh, 67, 68, and he, he, he really is reflective of, like, you know, the, the last, you know, 15 years of the civil rights movement. Like, you know, where do we go from here? Quality, you know, wondering, like, was the fight worth it, right? And so I would first of all say, you know, you're in good company when you get frustrated and say, this shit ain't worth it. Uh, <laughs> um, but and then, then you're going to have to make a decision about, you know, whether, you know, you know, what, you know, after that, I would say, then you have to make a decision about whether you continue to say, uh, you know, the fight is working, I'm going to keep fighting, or, you know, those who are fighting against you, they, they don't get tired. Man, that's, that's, it's also, to your point, Molly, encourage all of us, young you know, seasoned and in between, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, to, to really think about, again, the world we want versus the world we have and how do we align those things. Voter suppression is such a broad idea that this interview and this podcast could have gone on for many more hours. In fact, I've cut over half of what Dr. Willis and I talked about. We ended up talking for almost an hour and a half. I want to thank Dr. Willis again for taking time out of his day and his schedule to interview with me. I found it extremely beneficial and extremely eye-opening and heard a lot of things that I really hadn't thought of before. The thing I hated most about editing this podcast was deciding on the parts that I'd have to cut. One of the points that was mentioned during these cutouts was Professor Willis's book, Audacious Agitation, the Uncompromising Commitment of Black Youth to Equal Education After Brown. Dr. Willis's final point about the world we have and the world we want to live in and how do we align the two was a great point to end the interview on. The connection between those two is clear. That connection is action. And the idea of action ran deep throughout the interview that I had with Dr. Willis. And I think he's absolutely right. Without action, nothing will change. So as you listen to this, I encourage you to take a step towards action, whether it's today, tomorrow, or even next week. I also encourage you to not think about how big or how small the action is. It doesn't matter. It just matters that you start it. As the saying that we all know and all have heard a thousand times goes, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, and I encourage you to start with that step. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next time.